the best advice I can give is that just because other people are doing something doesn't mean that it's okay to do it. Uh, the difficulty with social media is that it is a megaphone. I might have, in years gone by, just had a, a bit of a complaint to my friends at the pub or around the barbecue, it would, and it would probably end there. These days, you play something on social media and suddenly it's everywhere. And so unfortunately, it means that when people do make errors in judgment, that they are much larger and have a greater impact than they otherwise would have. And that's really where a lot of my work is, is helping people who have thought they were doing something which was okay and have realised that maybe it wasn't. Welcome to episode 190 of Be The Drop, a weekly interview podcast sharing stories from inspirational people to help you learn how to tell your story. I'm Amelia Veal, Director at Narrative Marketing and firm believer in the superpower of storytelling. The digital landscape has changed dramatically in the past decade. Instagram, for example, was launched in October 2010. Now it's estimated to be worth more than $100 billion. And there's a whole category of people who earn their living as Instagram influencers. Digital makes up roughly half of all advertising spend. But with all this transformation has come data privacy issues, cyberbullying and the birth of social media law. Paul Gordon is a partner at Warman's Lawyers. Paul is one of the few lawyers in South Australia who specialises in social media law, which he's been doing since 2012. And in social media years, that's a long time. In fact, it takes us back to when Facebook bought Instagram. In this episode of Be The Drop, Paul talks about potential challenges business face in today's world of social media. He outlines key issues to be aware of when sharing content online and shares his insights into how social media law is keeping us safe and engaged online. This is Paul's version of Be The Drop. Are you considering starting a podcast? At Narrative Marketing, we deliver a full range of podcast production options. Or if you'd like help getting started to produce your own content, we also deliver a range of podcast training programs. Hit the link in the show notes for more details. Paul, welcome to our next episode of Be The Drop. Thank you very much for having me. And to get us started so we can know a little bit more about yourself and your story, you've brought along your item of significance. So could you explain that to us, please? Absolutely. So my item of significance is a pendant uh, that I got from my grandmother, but it's not actually the one she physically gave to me because I'm a bit of a, a class and I, I lose things all the time. So I actually had it recreated. But it's something which really connects me to, uh, I guess, family and, and tradition and, and culture, but also to the story of how my family developed and got here to Australia and which really led me on my way to achieving what I've achieved. And that's really a story of, firstly, of survival, because they came from Eastern Europe around in the 30s, and that's not really a good place for Jewish people to have been at that time. And I was always raised on these stories of, of the family who came across uh, being really inventive, industrious, and, and, and doing things to succeed. And so you know, I've got a, a great uncle who went from doing a paper route to being one of the most successful people in generic pharmaceuticals in the world. So that's really led me to know that I can, if I put my mind to something, if I if I try sufficiently hard and 
and, and really try and be authentic and honest with people, then hopefully you'll succeed. And, and that's really shaped my professional practice. Oh, what a lovely story. Thank you for sharing that. And it is nice to have that connection to family and those values and really understand, you know, where you come from and have that to propel you forward. And that has propelled you into the world of legal. So you're a practicing lawyer. That's right. Explain a little bit about your focus in the law. Yep. So I probably one of the few people, at least uh, here in, in South Australia, who focuses on social media law. And that's been something which I've been doing since roughly 2012, which in social media years is about a, you know, three decades, um, <laughs> I like to think. And through that work, I've, I've been able to, I guess, do some really interesting things. Mm. And it's interesting because you make that comment that it's about three decades in social media years because it's so constantly changing. You know, just from, I, I'm, I'm not coming from a legal perspective, but just from the perspective of creating content for clients and needing to understand what platforms and what formats and how to share that, you know, there is so much information to constantly keep up to date with. I can't really comprehend how the law stays up to date with that as well. You know, there must be some challenges in that. Absolutely. So we've got a couple of different things that lead to that. Firstly, you've got the constant change of technology and every time something new comes about, there are new legal challenges. And so we're trying to fit old laws to new technologies and and in many cases, having a, an educated guess, but a guess nonetheless as to what should happen. And then you have when the law tries to catch up. And so then the law changes either through a new law being passed or the courts interpreting a law in a different way, which changes our understanding again. So it's always changing either because of the technology or because of the law itself. Mm. And so for businesses then, they need to keep up to date with what's happening in technology, keep their content fresh, understand their audiences, all of these challenges with content creation and keeping ahead of the content beast. But then there's this extra layer of needing to know what are their legal responsibilities, what you know, what, what things should they be aware of? So if you had to sort of try and give a top level summary of some of the key things that you think businesses need to be aware of in this space, what are, what are those? Well, I think probably the, the best advice I can give is that just because other people are doing something doesn't mean that it's okay to do it. And that comes across all sorts of areas with, with digital uh, content. So be it sharing users' posts and, and contents to making comments about your competitors or, or even just how you handle reviews. A lot of bad conduct is occurring and people think, that well, if everyone else is doing it, why don't I? And that's fine until it isn't. And that's really where a lot of my work is, is helping people who have thought they were doing something which was okay and have realised that maybe it wasn't. And so what are some of the main areas that you know, potentially businesses are getting in trouble on these digital technologies and communication platforms? Well, the, the most obvious one is copyright. And so we often see people sharing memes, sharing photographs, putting things on their website that they got from what they thought to be a stock image website that wasn't, um, and then suddenly getting a letter of complaint from a photographer somewhere around the world about the use of their image. Um, a lot of people think that, well, memes are everywhere. Everyone does memes. And so obviously I can just take any photo, throw some text over it, or even take an established meme and just share it. 
and then they fall into issues in terms of, of two things. Firstly, copyright, but secondly, breaching of what's called a moral right, which is an author's right to have their name on their own content. Mm. In South Australia, we recently saw on social media play out in front of, you know, everyone, um, two high-profile South Australian accounts who had a dispute about the use of copyright of, of, of video content and they took it to social media to have mm. this conversation and then the followers of these people got involved and it, it turned quite nasty. Absolutely. And so we've then got about three different legal areas that came up from that one incident. Uh, and I think that unfortunately the the nexus of it all was probably a, a lack of understanding or even appreciation across all of the parties of how copyright online works. Um, but you had then thrown into that defamation, so the potential for one or, or other of the parties to claim that, that they had been defamed online. And then through some of the, I guess, vitriolic comments made by their followers, the potential of breaches of, of criminal laws in terms of using the internet to harass or intimidate someone. Mm, it was messy. And I, I think the lesson and the takeaway from that was really don't take to social media as a platform. <laughs> you know, there needs to be using, because I think we've become a little bit um, complacent with our use of social media because we're so used to communicating across um, those platforms. But that really played out as an example of it wasn't the appropriate place to have the conversation. Yeah, look, I think that often there are uh, decisions made in, in life that, that may not have been the best, best option. Uh, the difficulty with social media is that it is a megaphone. So whilst uh, I might have in, in years gone by and just had a, a bit of a complain to my friends at the pub or around the barbecue it would and it would probably end there these days you play something on social media and suddenly it's everywhere mm. and it can be reshared and it can be commented upon and it just amplifies things hugely in a way that it didn't previously and so unfortunately it means that when people do make errors in judgment that they are much larger and have a greater impact than they otherwise would have. Mm. And look, social media is such, uh, you know, it can be such a wonderful tool for connection and communication and can really help people, you know, that we saw with the bushfires, mm. you know, the resulting conversations that happened in, you know, around Australia, the terrible bushfires that we had through December, January. Uh, but the resilience and the hope and the sharing of support that came through social media. The community that was brought together, it, it was phenomenal. And some of the, the individuals who leveraged social media for, for positive societal good, um, I think were incredible. Yeah. I mean, I can't imagine how else the amount of money that was raised would have been raised. I can't imagine how just the people saying, I need someone to help me move this equipment from my vineyard or I need to source this particular item because we've lost it in the fires. You never would have had that to the same extent that we've had mm. were it not for social media. So I think social media is absolutely a tool that can be leveraged for good, but it can also be leveraged for, for evil. I guess. Yeah, no, <laughs> um, definitely. But, but in, in addition to that, it can also just make life challenging for businesses out there. And I think this really brings us back to that comment you made about the law playing catch-up because this is changing so much. These are new and there's so many different 
platforms and they don't all play in the same way. So content is delivered differently in many. So how does the law get around that? Big stuff. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and we see countries now trying to expand beyond their borders. So we had the big um, concern back in May 2018 about the GDPR, which is the European Privacy Legislation. And that has been shown to have impacts for people outside of Europe because they've taken court cases against reasonably small firms in Canada, in the US. I'm not aware of any in Australia yet, but it could conceivably happen. So I think we're going to see a lot more of that. Back when I, I started talking about social media law in 2012, I remember I did a slideshow um, and it include a side saying, watch this space for international treaties, because there was a lot of discussion about, particularly in the privacy context, having uniform privacy legislation across a variety of countries and in, in certain regions, which was important because under the Australian legislation, if you send your data overseas, which a large number of us do, whether we realise it or not, you are responsible for what happens unless that country has equal privacy protections. So the whole thing, the whole thinking behind it was, well, if we get a, a regional privacy stand, standpoint, then that means that it doesn't matter if my information in, is in Singapore, it's protected to, to the same level as it is in Australia. That hasn't happened. Mm. But we have now seen individual blocks and individual countries coming out and spreading their law more broadly which is having impacts for businesses here in Australia. Yeah, and, and you mentioned the GDPR that has had lots of implications potentially for Australian businesses. What are some of the key things you think that businesses need to be aware around that? So the GDPR really kicks in in two main areas. Firstly, if you are monitoring information of people in the EU, so that could be if you have them in your mailing list or if you gather data with Facebook pixels from people in the EU who could be Australian citizens who just happen to be, you know, travelling to London. If you're doing that on a regular basis, then you're caught. And the other thing is if you are marketing or offering services and information to people in the EU, uh, then you're caught. But that there are a number of different factors that, that will determine if you're doing that. So, for example, if your website does currency conversion into euros, you've probably got a problem. If you have things translated into French, you might have a problem. If you are simply targeting worldwide, you can also have an issue. However, if you just if you're an Australian business and everything's listed in Australian dollars and it talks about Australian products, but you happen to offer international shipping, you're probably okay. Yeah. So then, you know, for those businesses that may have that presence, you know, in French or they offer products with, you know, conversions to EU dollars, what do they need to do? So they are legally required to have a compliant privacy policy and that then dictates a bunch of different practices that they have to allow for. So, for example, people in the EU have a right to be forgotten. So if I'm in the EU and you have my information, I can contact you and say, tell me what you've got on me. You have to give it. And then I can say, okay, get rid of all of that. Um, it's a different position here in Australia where that right only attaches to sensitive information here. So, for example, health and medical information. Um, for my general purchasing habits, my interactions with you, where I live, what I think is a good movie, all of those kinds of things, you don't need my permission to hold. 
here in Australia. You do have an obligation, assuming you're called by the Privacy Act, to tell me that you have that information um, and to tell me where it's being stored and what you're going to use it for. But if I tell you delete it, you can say, no, thanks. Mm. And so, and it's really interesting to be aware of that level of rights and lack of rights or what you need to do. Do you find that most businesses are, or do you think that there's a lot of businesses that are operating without that true understanding? Well, I think part of the problem is that the law kind of has big, big gaps in it. So in Australia, if you have a revenue of less than $3 million a year, plus you aren't either in health or fitness industries, or if you aren't dealing in data, I'm not sure if anyone really knows what that means, then you don't have to comply with the Privacy Act. You can do what you like. Um, it's only if you fit into those categories that you're caught. But then you get the GDPR, which doesn't discriminate. So for a lot of businesses, the Privacy Act here in Australia is simply irrelevant because it just doesn't, doesn't affect them. Uh, and that becomes problematic because consumers, people out there in the community, think they do have rights under the Privacy Act, which they don't, again, in relation to these businesses. So a lot of the companies that I come into contact with either think that they do have obligations that they don't or the reverse. And it's a matter of, of really educating people about what their obligations are. I mean, look, my, my personal view is that if you're dealing with people's data, you should probably voluntarily comply with the Privacy Act because it's the right thing to do. But if you don't want to, you don't have to. Mm. Yeah, so and there's so many nuances in this then. A absolutely. And, and the other side of it is consumer expectation. We have a duality where people are giving out their information at an unprecedented rate. You know, you sign up for whatever and suddenly your phone's giving access to your contacts, your, your emails and your, your photos. And, and people don't just click through because convenience is convenience. But then by the same token, if that information is then misused, everyone is up in arms. I mean, look what happened with all of the uh, face app uh, controversy where people had so much fun seeing what they looked like in when if they were older uh, or younger, but then realized that, hang on a second, what's happening to my image and where is it being sent and how is it being used? Uh, you know, that was a Russian company. They had no presence here in Australia. There's nothing anyone can really do. They Even if they were here in Australia, there would still be nothing anyone can do because they've consented to that occurring by clicking yes to the access permissions. Mm, yeah. So, I, yes, obviously what you're saying is the lack of education is problematic in some of this. Exactly. Ah, so there's lots of things to consider, but let's bring it around to a more positive note. So it's not all doom and gloom in the world of technology and law. What are some of the things that you're really excited about that businesses can access and leverage through using, you know, the opportunities in this space? There are so many things. Um, because of the way that social media connects people with their audiences, there's a real opportunity for them to leverage those relationships into collaborative content. And I think there's some really cool things that you can do in terms of how things are handled from a copyright perspective to enhance that rather than inhibit it. So, for example, people having competitions where users can submit content and then potentially get licenses out there and give revenue to community groups and things like that. There are some really nice opportunities there. The other positive thing from a business and consumer perspective is some of the recent changes in law about defamation. And that's really putting some obligations back onto the social media platforms and also to the media in general 
to take some responsibility for some of the more vicious commentary that's put up there. So we've had the, the Dylan Voller case, um, which was decided in uh, New South Wales, where the media was held responsible for defamatory content posted on comments to their Facebook posts. So while some people saw, saw that as being a bit of a negative in terms of the fact that, well, now we're responsible for what's posted on our, our pages, it's also kind of positive in that maybe if you have posted something controversial and you take some responsibility mm. and, and not allow people to be vilified online. Well, and we need to start having someone responsible. We need to start having responsibility around content and commentary so that we can help move towards having a safer and more enjoyable space for everyone. Well, absolutely. And it's not to say that people can't make negative comments. You know, I've had um, in the the last day someone who came to me because um, they'd reviewed a product and they'd given their honest opinion of the product that was submitted to them for a review and the person who had received the review was threatening them with defamation proceedings and it it just made me think well we've got this situation where either people have this opinion that they can say whatever they like or people are hypersensitive to what is fair and reasonable comment i think we really need to find a middle ground where you can have robust but respectful debate and make you know constructive feedback and criticism a a positive thing uh, without going over that line Mm, look and i think that would that would be so important in so many areas of, you know, the digital world today to be able to have a respectful conversation and, and find common middle ground. I, I think that's mm. wonderful advice across <laughs> a whole range of things, Paul. And another area you mentioned previously to me that, you know, your organisation gets involved is, you know, if you've got crisis management, if you've got yeah. clients that have gone through any sort of issues, um, public issues, they need to remedy that. Yes. And social media can be really powerful for helping, you know, businesses manage their, their clients and their community and let them know that everything's okay and that they're working on on these things. You know, you've experienced in that area too. Absolutely. It's becoming actually a, a larger area of practice <laughs> better or worse, um, where unfortunately things happen, as, as I said before about the, the megaphone effect of social media, that when a mistake is made in a business or when an accusation more often than not is made about a business, it can go viral and just completely decimate a, a brand's reputation. What we're now seeing, though, is that appropriate management of social media, a light touch legal approach where we don't you know slam people for having made comments but also still maintain boundaries and 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 respectful behaviors can change the narrative so i saw a particular business who were slammed firstly on social media and then in the mainstream media uh, for a variety of, of unfortunate accusations the majority of which were shown to be false were able to turn it around from having thousands of attack posts posted against them to really bring their community on a journey about what they learnt from the from the situation how whilst they it was found out found that the accusations weren't weren't accurate that there were still learnings that could be looked into and and implemented and they've actually now in, engaged with some of the people who were their biggest critics to become their biggest advocates mm. so there is that opportunity to really use social media for positive in a potentially quite negative situation. We, we worked with, with some other social media professionals who, who really 
took that narrative and and developed it uh, in, in, into a positive sense. And I think um, that was the most effective element of our entire strategy. So when, when you have a crisis, um, you have, have to have a multifaceted strategy. It's all about stakeholders. It's all about legal compliance. You know, is this going to affect our funding? Is this going to affect our sponsors, our, our clients? Um, and a lot of it is a communication piece. A lot of it is a strategic coordination piece. But the most important part of it is bringing people along on a journey. Mm. And is, what what a great sentiment. That's really is, isn't it, in all areas, mm. bringing people along on your journey. Well, Paul, thank you so much. In conclusion, though, could you share with me Paul's Be The Drop tip? And that's your top tip for communication that motivates and inspires others. Authenticity. Look, I, I think that in everything that you do, no matter what space you're in, if you are authentic in terms of how you respond to things, how you relate to things, and going back to the story I told at the start, to your values, then it will, without question, be more effective, more powerful communication, and it will more importantly lead to successful relationships. Fantastic. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Be The Drop. Don't forget to subscribe in order to ensure you never miss out on one of our weekly episodes. Be The Drop is produced by Narrative Marketing, where we believe that stories connect individuals and that powerful storytelling can positively impact the world. To unleash your storytelling superpower, visit narrativemarketing.com.au or check out our social links in the show notes. To contact me directly with any specific comments you have, you can email me via amelia at narrativemarketing.com.au. And don't forget that whilst a task or challenge may seem overwhelming, a waterfall begins with one drop and look what comes from that.